You're listening to the Cultural Curriculum Chat, the podcast that specializes in multicultural education and classroom strategies. I'm your host, Jebe Edmonds. Let's get started. Hey, hey, everyone, it's Jebba here, and I'm going to share with you some key takeaways from my experience this school year. I know I'm almost done. I feel like I got to play my Rocky theme song like I do every year at the end of the school year to say, finally, I made it to the top of the stairs this school year. So I'm going to share with you some reflective points, some moments, some things that I really had to learn how to advocate for myself and I feel stronger doing it that way. I feel like in the world of education, we are at the cusp of more of that concierge type of education where you could do the traditional in-person schooling or if your families are jet setters when things open up and you want to still keep your lifestyle of traveling and doing what you want to do and your students will come with you and also learn wherever they are and so I feel like as educators we got to get comfortable with this new mode of education and education as a whole so My whole purpose of this podcast is to share my love and passion of African culture, African uh, American literature, and African studies. So those are the types of things where, as an educator, we are already inherent on stopping, pausing. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? You know, I can just see your Y charts in your brains right now, y'all. I know, right? So teaching in this mode, I'm also feeling like, yeah, I do need to figure out what does this look like for moving forward? What does this sound like? What does this uh, feel like? And does it feel like we are going to be in this? Not pandemic wise, but it does feel like this new mode of learning is going to be with us, I feel like for a very long time. All right, educators, you know, we've been through some things and I'm not saying something because it was so bad what we've been through. Teaching virtually was literally like, you know, trying to fly a plane with train parts, right? And this stuff was very, very hard. And, you know, I was sitting back, of course, you know me, I like to reflect, but I was like, dang, they didn't even have a pandemic methods class, you know, when I went to St. Scholastica, like, what, you know, did you even ask the registrar, like, you know, excuse me, when can I register for the plague classroom management course? Like, that was not even a thing. But for me, it was like, wow, we were really shocked Of course, we had no idea what was happening to the world. So we were all in crisis mode. I feel like, you know, when we shut down in Minnesota, where I teach, that um, we were trying our hardest to figure out this system of how are we going to translate all the stuff that we need to teach our students before the end of the school year? And how are we going to navigate that? Um, I honestly felt like um, where I was, that the time 
of training was not adequate to enough time to feel prepared as an educator. You know us, when it hits the end of August, we are searching Pinterest, we're trying to get some, you know, fun ideas for how to revamp our, you know, our classroom, you know, get that, you know, excited motivation again. You know, I have my um, first six weeks book by Harry Wong, and I have it tabbed and, and highlighted, you know, and I always pull that out the end of of August. That's when I get into, okay, new school year teacher mode. But nothing could have prepared us. Nothing could have prepared our world of going into this new realm. So when we did shut down at first, you know, last two, oh goodness, last spring, I can't believe it's been already a year. We were in that crisis mode. We were crisis teaching. Our kids were crisis learning. And I felt like when we had that summer to take a breath, I felt like we still were trying to cope and realize kind of like that, whoa, what just happened here? You know, we were still in that fog of what just happened this past spring, right? We were we were trying to grapple with things that were happening socially. We we're trying to grapple with things that were happening with our health and our neighbors and our friends. And we were protecting our own selves in our own little bubble. But as educators, we're also thinking of how are we going to get through this fall? How am I going to approach my teaching style? How is my style, my methods, how are my kids going to interact when we're in the middle of a pandemic in the fall? So when I came into the notion of, okay, I'm going to be teaching distance learning, I got myself into that learning mode of literally trying to find things on YouTube on how to do these learning platforms that would be easier. Um, We didn't know what type of learning platform we were going to start out with in the fall. But when we did finally get to that, I spent a lot of my time trying to map out a schedule Um, Our district gave us that directive of how many minutes we were supposed to have live in-person training, uh, teaching, you know, our synchronous and asynchronous. So the student wouldn't be in front of the computer for a long time because, you know, screen time. Um, So we had our directive. Okay, these are the minutes we need to fulfill. And then me and my teacher team kind of came up with an idea of, okay, how am I going to map out how many minutes I'm going to be teaching live reading lessons? How many lessons am I going to be teaching live? math and science and social studies and health and everything else that's wrapped up to be, oh my goodness, how am I going to do my guided reading groups? How's that going to look? So those are the things that we're talking about building that plane with trained parts and not knowing exactly how am I going to fly this thing, right? So with giving myself that permission to kind of think back to my good old days. Now, let me break it down for you. Growing up, I have a different name, right? Jebe. You don't see very many Jebes in Minnesota, right? And my name, I was named after my great aunt, Chief Jebe IJ of the Vi tribe in Liberia. Um, I never met her. She passed on before I was born, but she was very close with my father and my father adored her. Um, he saw a lot of her in me when he gave me that name. Um, now that my dad has passed on, I also reflect and think about You know, when he and my mother named myself and my three younger sisters, we were all named after these strong women. 
And these strong women made an impact on our lives. They were my aunts, and one was named after my grandma. And so that name I take very seriously, and I have that pride. So then enter 1986, and another strong woman with a different name, named Oprah Winfrey, entered my life. Yes, I was six years old and I would sneak behind the couch watching Oprah episodes with my mom. Mom didn't really know I was back there. Sorry, mom. But I was in awe of this woman. And I said to myself, I want to be just like Oprah. So growing up, I was, you know, practicing with my hairbrush as a microphone. My sisters and I even would record a little video, a little um, radio show, you know, so this podcast feels like home. So I took my love and knowledge and passion growing up, wanting to be the next Oprah, wanting to have that name. And I thought to myself, I got to be creative. So when I got into high school, you know, that love and passion of becoming a broadcaster was really big. So I decided, okay, my senior year in high school, I'm going to see if there's a way that I can intern at a news station. Now, I graduated from Coon Rapids High School, and Mr. Martin, he was our DECA advisor. He was our business teacher. Shout out to Mr. Martin. He was an amazing mentor of mine, and he went out of his way. In our DECA program, I was the only African-American girl in that program. And when he interviewed us, we had to do these mock interviews, and he interviewed us, um, you know, what we thought was our career path, what we would love to do. And when he asked me that day, he goes, okay, Jabba, what would you like to intern? And I told him, I said, I want to intern at a television studio. <laughs> the look on his face, like, wow. And he looked at me, he's like, wow, you're going to really make me work for it. And he did. He got me linked up with the cable news center, the QCTV Quad Cities Television out in Anoka. Uh, shout out to Rob Tronson. He was the news director there and he got me on my start on editing and video um, uh sound and he even let me interview my classmates because I wanted to be this journalist. I want to be like mini Oprah, right? So long story short, now this is important. So bear with me. I know, just be patient. So I took my love of broadcasting. I took my love of going to undergrad at UMD and studying communication with a poli-sci minor. I still had that love of becoming a broadcaster. So my first love when I graduated, I worked at um, WDIO uh, Channel 10 in a news in Duluth, Minnesota as a weekend producer. Great experience there. Shout out to Steve Goodspeed. Um, and those are the those three men mentors of mine, Dr. Martin, Mr. Rob Tronson, Mr. Steve Goodspeed, these three mentors of mine really believed in me and thought, okay, this girl, she's really, she's really passionate of what she wants to do. Now, fast forward to 2020, you know, I was teaching in person, had this great vibe with my colleagues, you know, working really hard. Um, you know, I even taught my, my first son uh, in fifth grade. But when this pandemic hit, I decided, you know what, I'm going to use my first love, my broadcasting love, my producing love, and I'm really going to make this special for my fifth graders this year. Now, I'm teaching 30 
six fifth graders, two different elementary schools um, with two different principals. And what I've learned is I have to keep things, of course, consistent for my students and consistent for my families. And what I noticed in the beginning of the school year, when I'd have my morning meetings, my rah-rah, shispoomba, um, you know, SEL strategies, getting our students, you know, socially, emotionally focused and, and ready to start their day. I took it upon myself and when I was teaching my live synchronous lessons, I noticed that the kids had the power to log off. You know, in person, they can't just take off and run in the hallway. Okay, maybe one does, but they always come back. They know what's up. But when you're teaching virtually, you have to be comfortable with the fact that, wow, I can't control the other side of my screen. I can't control what the students are going to be listening or learning or had to leave for a reason that is out of my knowledge. So what I decided to do with my love of broadcasting, with my love of filming, I decided to do it double time. So I would teach live and then I would pre-record my lessons pre-record my reading, pre-record my math, pre-record my science and social studies. So if a student is not available or didn't come to my Google Meet, I still have to show them the standards and benchmarks. I still have to teach them the standards and benchmarks so they can, you know, promote to the next grade level. So what I decided to do, and it is, it's very tedious. I feel like my own boys at home are like, oh my gosh, the door is closed. Mom's recording, right? But those are the things that I had to do because that was the only way I would get full engagement with all of my students. And like I said, I can't control what's going on in their homes, but I can control all of the material that needs to be shared and all the material that needs to be learned and taught. So my biggest thing, um, if you are in this thick pandemic teaching world right now, please pre-record your lessons. Another thing what I do is think about it if a student is not present or participating that day, of course they're absent, right? Because in person, if they're not physically in your classroom, they are not present, they are not participating. So all those recordings that I would have, I would push out that wasn't live, you know, that was live, that wasn't live with my students, I would push out after the school day. So at 2.15, if you miss my live lesson that early in the morning, it would be pushed out at 2.15, you know, and that would help some families too, because then they would know, oh, Mrs. Edmonds has this lesson. And even if for my students that were there at my synchronous live lesson, but they forgot something or they missed something, they could always replay it back. And that's something I found very valuable um, with my students. I feel like they were more confident because they knew if they couldn't reach me after school hours, they could see me perform that same lesson again. Another thing too that I love to do is my read out louds. You know, I've shared my favorite books so far. Trust me, there's more where that came from, but I love reading books out loud. And since we only have a limited amount of time to read out loud in person, 
online live, I decided, you know what? I'm going to do it like a podcast, right? I'm going to whip up my garage band and I'm going to record me reading a chapter. And my students love it. They give me great um, feedback when they are on the learning system. And, um, you know, I'm on Seesaw this year and they are giving me feedback of what they what they heard. Um, you know, they even ask me questions of, oh, my gosh, what is this character going to do now? Or, oh, that was so funny. So those are the kinds of things where I get to have my students you know, still feel like they're at school, but in a different sort of way. So I really, really feel like, um, you know, having that pre-recorded lesson, it's a lot of background work, but it is so worth it because just like we all know educators, we're always doing more than we are, I'm going to say, you know, compensated for, but it's for the love of the students. It's for the love of knowing that I am making a positive impact on this young generation. It is well worth it. It is our return on investment by investing our time to our future. So I think that is so, so very important. Um, Like I said, you know, tutorials are your friends. I can't tell you how many waking hours I have watched and rewatched some YouTube videos just to kind of teach me even how to do a long division for a fifth grader. You know, those are the kinds of things that you do. Um, Before I wrap up here, communication is key. You know, I got my undergrad in communication. I just remember my grandma going, (laughs) you got your degree to talk? Like, really? What is communication? You know, and she even told me, she goes, you're meant to speak to the children. And I kind of, you know, thought to myself, like, what do you mean? And now she was right. I was meant to speak to the children, you know, and that's my passion um, is to speak and to instill my knowledge and what I know um, to the younger generation. I do a weekly newsletter. And I send it out at the same time every Monday morning at 7.25 a.m. I send a copy to my administrators so they know where I'm at. I also, in the beginning of the school year, I even did a little video tutorial for my students of what to expect when you're with me. You know, where should your space look like when you're learning? Um, Make sure you're in a comfortable space. Um, Make sure you have your materials ready with you right at the top. Uh, so you're not running around your house frantically trying to find your social studies notebook. So those are the types of things where I've set up very clear expectations. I also realized when I was starting in the beginning of the year, my students were getting kind of flustered with my um, timed uh, schedule. And I'll put that in the show notes so you have an idea of kind of what that schedule could look like in your classroom. And what I decided to do was instead of having the times on the side, I'm leaving that part blank. And it's more like a checklist because they're learning from home. They're not getting on the bus. So for them, my main concern is you show up at your designated synchronous times. That is the expectation. And the parents know that's the expectation. But the second thing I also wanted them to know is maybe that science project is going to go longer than that 30 minute block that I had, you know, scheduled out. Just get it done. You know, that time I felt like made my students, not all of them, some of them really liked that time, but 
a majority of my students felt more flustered. And as a teacher, you're constantly reevaluating your day-to-day, day-to-minute, you know, any type of transition. So for me, giving them that checklist that they could print off at home and literally check off as they go. They gave me more thumbs up. They felt more in control of what they needed to take care of for the day. Now, like I said, it's not a perfect system, but it is so valuable. Setting up clear expectations on how you behave in your Google Meets. I tell you, I have seen some things and that I tell you, it's for another podcast that I'm going to have to write because trust me, ooh, it'll make you blush. So those are the types of things where you sit back and go, make sure you are dressed like you are ready to go to school like you were in person. Even saying that out loud, you might think, oh my gosh, Jeb, you really have to tell them. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen, you know, little baby siblings with nothing on but a diaper and a smile. And you're still trying to teach common denominators, right? Like, oh, please keep that diaper on. Please keep that diaper on. And then before you're like, oh, oh, nope, exit. <laughs> You have been kicked out of the meeting. You know, I have done that a few times and I still going with my common denominators, you know, I'm still teaching, you know, you don't miss a beat. And the thing is, you kind of have to have your poker face on when you are teaching live, because if you give any attention to, oh my gosh, is that a knife or get your dog out of there? everybody's going to be looking at that screen. So what I have done with my poker face, I'm smiling, I'm doing everything. And then in my right hand, I am exiting them out of the classroom. And so those are the things you can't miss a beat, but that's the best way of being right there at your classroom management virtually. You know, you still have to keep your expectations clear and clearly that student is not in that mindset to be learning at that moment. So to keep it moving and to keep your instruction moving, you got to do what you got to do and let them go. So those are the kinds of things that you have to keep on point. Um, And that is, it's so very important. So those are my tips and reflective practices of keeping communication open for your families, being creative and, you know, put on your inner Oprah (laughs) self and have fun with it. Um, And of course, like I said, set the tone, set your parameters and stick with it. You are your best advocate educators. You know what is best for your learners, no matter if you're in person or teaching virtually, you know how you want your classroom run and you run it well. So this is me, Jeva Edmonds. Thank you again for visiting. I will talk to you guys later. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends, please get my subscription numbers up, y'all. I need this. All right. Big hugs. Love y'all. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to Cultural Curriculum Chat with Jebba Edmonds. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. We will be here same time, same place next week. Take care. Bye-bye.